Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for kind of episode 24 from two weeks ago. So the situation is right now, I've had to be out of town this week, uh, so I wasn't going to be in the studio. I'm, t- I'm in my Truth and Justice time machine right now because uh, I'm not in the studio this week, which is when you're listening to it, which is next week for us right now while we're recording this. Um, so we had to pre-record this week's follow-up, and it just so happened that one of our, our listeners, who is very active on the Truth and Justice fan page, you all know her as Kelly DZ, her name is actually Kelly Dizik, uh, happens to live not far from me here in Michigan, and we were talking about post-traumatic stress and memory, so if you remember back from two weeks ago, uh, the episode where we talked about Sandy's kind of recovered memories about seeing the person, the young woman in the bathroom the night that she was tied up. We were having these conversations, so Kelly agreed to come into the studio and record with us. And uh, so we're recording this a week and a half ago. We're putting this in the can so you guys can listen to it this week while I am out on assignment. So all that being said, probably clear as mud. Uh, You ready to get started, Mike? Let's get started, Bob. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we are joined today by the lovely Miss Kelly Dizik and her husband, Mike, who is sitting quietly by as her bodyguard to make sure that we don't pick on her. So we've got me, Mike, the other Mike, and uh, and Kelly. And uh, Kelly, first of all, can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? So you you have, I know, kind of a personal background in this, and then you're also uh, was a limited licensed therapist for the last 10 years, right? So if you can give us a little bit of background as far as um, just briefly what's kind of your own per- personal PTSD and how that affected your life and then what your your background is in the field is educationally. Sure. Um, well, I think I'll go backwards if that's okay. Um, I have my resume sort of is that I have a master's degree in counseling psychology from um, Western Michigan University. And I have, I'm a limited licensed psychologist, which is basically a master's level psychologist in our Michigan. 
And I've been doing that for 10 years. I've worked in a lot of different um, capacities as a therapist with high-risk teens. Um, and what I've really focused a lot on is doing assessments and evaluations, both assessments for schools, for just people who bring their children in and want to know what's going on, as well as assessments for the court system for juveniles. Um, my personal experience that I've shared somewhat on the group is that I am a cult survivor. That's something that's been <laughs> something I just recently have been able to say, even though I'm 40 years old. Uh-huh. And I grew up in the group my whole life, my whole childhood. So you didn't necessarily realize you were in a cult at that time. Is that how you explained it to me? Well, <laughs> kind of what it is, I think, is more that you kind of know when you're in a situation where control is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I, the word cult to me, I'm one of those people who kind of has to understand their own experiences intellectually and from a you know, practical standpoint. And I think that I, I kind of decided that I needed to understand what my life had been. So that was sort of why I got into to learning about things. And I guess what I feel like cults are about, it's nothing to do with religion. It's about coercive control. Mm-hmm. Coercive control to me is something that impacts people in families, in gangs, in mm-hmm. governments, in lots of different ways. And so it's something that I'm really passionate about other people being able to learn about. But because I did suffer some um, trauma in my childhood and because I've grown up in an environment or I grew up in an environment where coercive control was such a big deal, that's kind of what kind of sparked my interest in in my field. But then my interest in this became something a little different once I started to learn some things about the case. This being the, the current case. The current case, yes. Okay. Um, I never listened um, or never participated in past. I just started listening um, in West, Mem- West Memphis 3 season. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really participate on the boards at all. But something about this case, my personal life kind of, it just seemed like I felt like there's a woman in prison who shouldn't be there. And she has people trying to fight for her. And a lot of people are recognizing a big injustice that happened. and. I wanted to kind of do my part to sort of talk about some things that are related to post-traumatic stress and memory that people just don't understand. I Or the general public maybe doesn't understand. So I, I guess I'll just, I'll kind of turn you loose to talk about some of that stuff. So um, rather than me trying to prompt you along, I know you've got, you've got your computer and you've mm-hmm. got some notes, very organized. Yeah. I'm, I have you know. a cup of coffee. <laughs> I do too in my owl cup. Right. <laughs> Thank you guys very much. <laughs> and I am a little ill. So if my voice starts to go out, that's probably why. Okay, and you did just go through the, so you guys listening right now probably saw on the national news, <laughs> I'm assuming because today's Tuesday. Uh, that last Wednesday there was the polar vortex and it was 50 below zero and, and whiteout conditions. That's what they drove here in, <laughs> which is, is a little nuts. Uh, but sounds like your, your, your yes. husband's got it under control. Yeah. It was, uh, it was quite an adventure, but it was a good, it was an adventure to get here. Right. And we really, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little about the subject because I am really passionate about it and I do want to make my future career, um, educating people about the systemic impact of trauma. And how it affects not just people's systems, but our systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm passionate about. So. Okay. Well, let's well, educate us. What okay. Is, how, how is the memory affected by 
PTSD. Okay, well, I'm not going to go through like every single symptom because people can look that up on their own. Right. There's a lot of information available about these subjects that are readily available to the public, like Google them, basically. I'm not a neurologist. I am not a um, doctor. I'm not a neuropsychologist either, but I do have some experience in evaluating certain things. And to me, after looking at the totality of the evidence, the reason I feel pretty confident to say that I feel like an innocent woman is in prison is because from my expertise, I'm not seeing anything unusual. I'm not seeing anything out of the ordinary for someone who's been traumatized. So you're, when, you, when you say you're not seeing anything unusual or out of the ordinary, you're talking about Sandra's lack of memory and some of the recall that she does have? Yeah. I mean, I a little bit beforehand, you know, I just met the team here, Bob and Mike, and um, we were talking a little bit beforehand just that memory does not work in a linear fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like not only does Sandy's behavior that I've been able to see or hear from the podcast line up with someone who's been traumatized and what I know about people who have neurological disorders, I mean, the whole family was traumatized. Right. So I would imagine that every single person that was present and every single person that was involved in the case would have symptoms of PTSD. So that wouldn't be unusual. It wouldn't even be unusual if Sandy had killed her husband. So right. Yeah. Well, and, and I know you know when I when Mike and I together went and visited the Melgars, um, Herman and Maria, and uh, met Marissa and Monica mm-hmm. and Gerson. So we, we we met all of them that were there that night, and even some of their recall of things that didn't quite add up and like had to go back and look at a police report about um even like the garage door you know but there was uh, i don't remember one of one of the girls was was convinced that the garage door was only partially partially open and i was just like what well, i i don't that, that can't be mm-hmm. like why is like well it was an automatic garage door how did he get it open and she said well mm-hmm. i think my dad just opened it I'm like, well, i don't think he can just open it first of all and herman is extremely disabled i mean he he doesn't have hardly any use of one side of his body. And I was like, so he certainly didn't climb under the garage door and do it. And then, and then Herman got home and we asked him and he's like, no, no, it was, it was up and, and, and Maria was up. And then they were looking at pictures and going through, but there were little things like that. And even when we listened to the interviews with uh, Marissa and Monica and Gerson mm-hmm. um, from that night, they were taken that night. You notice there were little inconsistencies where they were remembering things differently. That's completely common in traumatic situations. Nobody's mem- That's why eyewitness statements have to be evaluated and corroborated from my understanding. I right. don't have any, I do want to put out there that I have no expertise in being involved in like the psychological aspects of an investigation. Mm-hmm. I have none. Um, my, my expertise with, particularly with courts is on the back end. <laughs> right. After someone's already been caught, um, there just aren't psychologists that can help unless it's a national case mm-hmm. that doesn't exist really as far as i know right and i was i was thinking the little bits that you know most of what i know other than than some books uh jim clemente teaches me a lot because it's fascinating when he talks it about it <laughs> but one thing i remember he's always taught me when i would when i would be talking to a witness and we're trying to draw he taught me how to do cognitive interviews and things yeah. like that um is, is to explain that how a memory is built to begin with isn't like exactly. here's a memory like it's a little nugget in this little part of your brain that a memory is is from different centers, different areas of your brain, little bits that are all kind of firing together to make. That's why yeah. there's they can be malleable mm-hmm. uh, and they're affected by sensory things. And there's a lot of different yes. things that can affect a memory. And that's why people can have, it seems like a crazy thing to say, but a false memory because their mm-hmm. brains piece yeah. things together. Where in this case, and that's kind of what we'll get to it as you start to walk through what you're going to walk through there. 
with Sandy for me knowing that when I was hearing her explain to me that she never it was never that she didn't remember this woman being there. Mm -hmm. It was that she remembered it being when they were untying her. And to me, that was snapping right back to what I had like. So she's got the memory of the woman specific sensory memories, what it what her sweater looks like and the type Mm -hmm. of knit it was. And she remembered what her hair was looking like, looked like. Uh, But then it was pieced together with when she was being rescued. And some people like to, and, and for me, like that is exactly, it's, it's taking a little piece from here and a little piece from there and mashing it together. That's my understanding, both from having PTSD because of some of my background and from evaluating it and studying it is that's exactly how it works, mm-hmm. that it's almost impossible when you've been through something traumatic to be able to rote, say this, 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 this happened, mm-hmm. unless you've actually done a lot of healing from the actual trauma. Right. And even then, there's just no access to some parts of it. I can't remember. I can remember a lot of things that happened to me in life, Mm -hmm. but I can still to this day not remember certain aspects of it. And you use the word sensory. Mm -hmm. One of the most, some of the most effective treatments for PTSD requires sensory integration of all the things that you experience in my experience and evaluations are like. You will go into sensory overload when you're traumatized. Mm-hmm. The whole defining thing of PTSD is terror. It's not really about the actual event. It's the feeling of unescapable terror that mm-hmm. kind of short circuits your brain. Um, and our brains are so amazing at dealing with trauma. I mean, think of all the things that have happened in the world that happen to people and that people develop resilience because our brains allow us to. PTSD in some ways right. is very helpful when you're going through the trauma well and and before i was investigating murder cases just dealing with um just kind of family trauma and things that have happened with people that i've witnessed that uh with people i'm close to where their brains just shut off and it's like and and at that point it's like this is such a great defense mechanism Mm -hmm. like something horrible happened in their brain just literally it's it's like the, the particular person i'm thinking about this incident it was like their brain just shut off and stopped recording and then they couldn't recall it coming back. Now, when you're trying to figure out what happened later, that's not so convenient. It's actually literally the reason why people have their own reality questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, because things there's a lot of media discussion of things like repressed memories and memory recovery, that's not something mainstream therapists really do as much as people think, I, I think, maybe. Uh-huh. Um when you're working with someone who's traumatized or when you're dealing with your own traumas, you don't push unless you're under majorly supervised treatment to try to remember things. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you're in a criminal investigation situation, they have to question people. Right. Sometimes in an aggressive way. But the problem is, is that that can also be traumatizing. Mm-hmm. That can also lead to an avoidance of certain situations. And the brain will actually take some of those memories and put them where they, when you can't handle them, your brain puts them somewhere. Basically that's how, that's how I explain it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They put them somewhere and that doesn't mean they didn't happen. Right. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and so, for, for me, and I'd like to your opinion on it, just, and, and I keep getting away from oh, it. Oh, that's okay. That you're going to talk about, and I want to talk about it. But, sure, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> but this is also fascinating to me, especially to have someone that, that's that's kind of in this field, because you know how social media works. You know, you say yeah. something, and then they all come out and say, you're an idiot. Or yeah. A, I'm either a genius or an idiot, depending on which website <laughs> you go to. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, it was like people that are questioning and that's why like when we had Jim, Jim Fitzgerald come on and look at her and he's like, well, everything seems, well, she's not lying. She's, she's, she hasn't changing her story. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you can't tell for sure if she's lying, but she's sure. not giving it. He saw, and then when Jim Clemente saw it, he said, I saw what I would expect from someone in that position. And for me, it was like, that's, that's the, the, the recipe for someone to try to recount something and, and have a real, struggle piecing things together from point A to B to C mm-hmm. to D in the way that she did in that interview, like the recipe to make that situation would be, I don't know, have something traumatic happen, dehydrate someone, don't feed them for a few hours, lock them in a car, have them find their husband dead, mm-hmm. and then start pounding questions at them, which is traumatic in and of itself. Like for anyone, forget the medical issues, right? But just for anyone that has gone through that kind of trauma, that's they're going to struggle. Yeah piecing that traumatic event back together. So that's exactly what I expected from her. And and then, you know, and, and you're not an expert in the lupus or the epilepsy. No, not um, at all. And at some point we'll probably have a, somebody come on. But like, to me, those the people that make an argument to say that, mm-hmm. you know, that's no excuse as to why she, you know, didn't have memory or whatever. It's just ridiculous. It's yeah. it's it's very obvious lupus or uh, epilepsy, having a seizure in a postictal state uh, and lupus and fog. These are all well documented. These are things that happen. They're almost not even theories. They're just well accepted right. facts. I don't. I don't know anything about those things. But I mean, her. To me, I tried to look. At, look tried to look at it from the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, like, okay, what if this is sort of like a one in a million thing? Let's say she had a seizure, freaked out, took her medicine wrong, and accidentally killed her husband, mm-hmm. and then t- like. I just don't foresee that, again, I have no expertise in this kind of investigation, but to me, as a listener who doesn't know you, I just met the team today, doesn't know have any emotional investment in the case other than as a listener, something just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So that's why I got kind of invested, mm-hmm. of course, and I have some you know, things that we talk about here that make me have an interest, extra interest in the case. Sure. So. So let's get into ex- sure. explain the is that the flow chart on memory you were showing me? Yeah, that? there's um and I will put up a couple links to some research. Actually, I'll I'll put a whole file in the um page, the Facebook group about um different things related to trauma, links that are research basically. So people can read other people's research and mm-hmm. books who are national worldwide experts on the subject. So um the biggest thing is that Sensory memory comes into you in an overflowing, overwhelming way. And normally, like, let's say I'm just talking, recounting this actual experience to, say, somebody in my family or something. I won't be able to remember every single thing that happened and recount it in a linear way because that's just not how our memories work. Mm -hmm. Um, And the problem is, is that the trauma makes that even worse. (laughs) Right. Basically. Um, And I'm going to, this is basically a flow chart. It's on 
peak performance center. I don't know if we can put that in or not. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, we can share it on, on, on social media. I'll look at it right now and, and I'll just trust me, guys. It's a beautiful flow chart. Yes, it is. Actually, if you guys look at it, the whole page does a really great job of explaining memory um, in a very, very easily to under- easy to understand format. So what, what would be an example of what you of a sensory memory as far as how it relates to this case? I, I remember that Sandy talked a little bit about seeing the woman who had short hair. Right. Being noticing that someone has short hair, you may not even, when the person that are, I do believe, hopefully, that the people that committed this crime will be caught and brought to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's honestly something that I also think about when I get you know invested in this case. I hope that the people actually get caught who did this so that right. they don't hurt anyone else. I heard a lot of things in there that were sensory memories, being right. on your stomach, having someone's knee on your back, mm-hmm. um, the short hair, uh, all those things. The sweater. Are se- the sweater, yeah. Right. All of them are sensory memories. I would be more worried as a therapist or as an evaluator if she gave a very linear story about it and then mm-hmm. that, exactly. that fit yeah. with all the evidence. To me, that would be much more. Jim Clementi would say that it would be an indicator of staging. Yes. If some if someone has something pieced together like that where they can walk in and say, I did this and then I did this and I did this and I did this. Because, I mean, th- that's rehearsing. You know, they mm-hmm. rehearsed in their own mind at the right. very least what they were going to say. And people, some people can do that on the spot really well. Mm-hmm. People that hustle you really well can do that on the spot. You know, they can get what they want from you real quick. But somebody who committed a crime like this that doesn't seem to have, I know people disagree, but doesn't seem to have a lot of pre like any indications of like that it was planned out really well right well <laughs> there weren't i mean people can speculate but yeah. in the record there's not a single yeah. piece of evidence exactly. that says that she was planning to do this so to me it just things don't line up behaviorally like if we're looking at things behaviorally or even from a ptsd's perspective her behavior makes sense mm-hmm. um if you if i were evaluating somebody who had been traumatized even um, not something as serious as having their husband murdered and you know being tied up. I would expect them to right away. Who knows what they could give you back? Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, obviously, the experience in the police station was traumatizing to her. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time listening to it, to be honest. Right. Really hard time. Have you watched the video? Yeah, the video is even harder to watch. It's yeah. And and, and I do want to go on the record and say that that Sandy should have been a suspect. Absolutely, she should have been interviewed, <laughs> and they didn't do. A terrible job, short of the when they started railing on her about you know when they were mocking Jim. That was help. too much for to me, me. It was it was not just too much for me. It was it was counterproductive. It's not what the the manual would teach to do in that situation. There's nothing that it's, they weren't going to get a response. Mm-hmm. I understand what they were trying to do, but yeah. they they there was a poor execution yeah. of that. And uh, considering the fact this woman just had her husband murdered, maybe don't go that far yet till you have some evidence. Well, and that's something that I think unless you've done evaluations to try to draw someone out who doesn't want to talk to you is something that most there's a lot of people in life that are good at it. But of course, therapists have to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Cops have to be good at it. Um, priests. <laughs> there's a lot of people that are really good at drawing people out. Yeah. And I'm not here to criticize anybody's like the people that are on the front lines of trying to catch people who are dangerous I have no criticism of all, at all because I'm looking at things in retrospect. But that, to me, even if she had killed her husband, I don't know that that would have helped elicit anything. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I mean. Yeah. So, like, I, it's right. Actually, it's inside because I'm, wor- I'm yeah. working on it right now. 
um, the the read technique manual. Mm-hmm. I'm going through. I've gone through it in my training years in the past, but yeah. I actually just bought the textbook again. And yeah. All these, what I do is I buy the textbook and then I take them like a student, do the workbooks and everything yeah. on them. Um, and walking through, yeah, then that's and that's exactly the point because like the read. I always struggle with it because as someone that 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 really likes to study criminal behavior and and tends to be pretty good at usually getting people to open up and things like that, the methodology behind the read technique is fantastic. It works. Counselors can use it. Therapists can use it. Yep. Police can use it. And it does work. The problem when I had Jim Trainum on the show back in way back in season one, uh, who's an expert in false confessions, he said the problem is when you teach somebody a 40 hour course in the in the read technique. And you don't teach them that these are things you have to watch out for. Like when you're, when you're doing it, you can't give them information that they don't already know. You can't you you, you can't suggest things to them mm-hmm. because the method is so effective to get people to talk. And they were marching or kind of right through it, and they just went off the rails. And that's that was kind of my point, exactly what you said. If Sandy was guilty, that tactic was not going to work. Yeah. You're not nobody's going to be like, okay, fine, I did it. That's just yeah. not. How a teenager happens. might, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but, yeah, maybe, but you know, it, typically at that point, they really think they've got to run the yeah, ropes. You exactly. know, the read technique would teach that's when you back them into and then you give them an out like, okay, maybe listen, maybe he, and they, and they started trying to do it earlier in the interview. Like maybe he got a little, maybe sure. you're fighting, maybe he got abusive, maybe it was an accident. You know, it's just kind of that get in the door thing, like get them to acknowledge that something happened and go from there. And that's my thing is like the read technique does have a lot of flaws and it has a lot of positive things and it is based in good, a good thought process from my perspective. It's I'm based not in psychology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I am not uh, certified or trained by the read technique school. My training is exactly what I said. I have a, my training is in therapy. Right. Um, I just happen to enjoy working with a group of people that also have a lot, sometimes a lot of interaction with the criminal justice system. So mm-hmm. um, I have testified in court and things like that. And you have to utilize the skills you have. I have, you know, the, the cops that were there were trying to catch a murderer. And right. of course they would talk to the family first. That would be idiotic if they didn't. Yeah, she was in the house. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, they said, I don't fault over that. No, but it's I'd... just that, um, it just went a little too far because I don't think it, I don't think it would have helped, but I, that's my opinion. I'm sure there's, you know, there's people here that have a lot more experience that have said that, but I do think that what happened is that she became more traumatized by the, by right. the interactions with, Absolutely. with yeah. the police. And of course, she's going to be avoidant of everything at that time. Mm-hmm. Everything she went like she would. I wouldn't have been surprised if she didn't leave her house and she didn't go out to dinner and she right. didn't want to talk to people. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I, I've tried to explain to people is there's two different parts of your brain during that interview that are literally fighting against each other. So the your your the defense mechanisms, the 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 prehistoric pieces of your brain are trying to repress these horrible memories. They're trying to get them to protect you in self-preservation, to get them out of your mind, while the other part of your brain and the frontal cortex is trying to bring them back because they're trying to tell the story. And it turns into this confusion and fog, but that's just, it's literally, it's counterproductive is what's happening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was really inspired by a lot of the women and men that posted recently after that episode, um, sharing their own stories. That was Mm -hmm. really what inspired me to be willing to talk on the actual show. Right. um, Because I'm a pretty private person. Actually, I'm a very private person. And I feel like some people kind of speaking up and saying, hey, look, I've been through something like this. I look functional and fine from the outside. And sometimes I fall apart. Um, I think that's a common thing with people who are traumatized, whether they get traumatized from murder or witnessing things. That's part of PTSD. You can have PTSD from witnessing um, helping professionals like cops get it from, you know, just having to see things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I got totally off track again. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to bring us back because I keep throwing you off topic and we, and, uh, and I'm going to try to stop doing it. Cause we started talking about sensory memories and I just kind of <laughs> want people to understand what that is. Yeah. Okay. Sensory started. memories are any, any input that comes into you through your senses. So right. it's any five senses. And some people think we have more than five senses, like things like proprioception is a, is something that's a sense that nobody talks about. Right. That's your orientation in space. So I would have expected her to say, I felt like I was upside down. I felt like it was this way. And it's followed to the evidence. That makes sense right. to me. Um, looking at it, if, you know, I was traumatized, so I don't remember. And if I had a seizure on top of that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a seizure is, isn't it? My understanding is it's your brain short-circuiting. Right. Well, PTSD is your brain short-circuiting, your memory, your senses, your mood, your mm-hmm. cognition. That's what all the, the all the diagnostic criteria are, and they have different amounts that you have to have and different things. But a major one revolving memory, let me just kind of look through my little book here. Hold on. My book is my diagnostic manual. Sorry. Yeah. While you're looking through the uh-huh. book, so to explain, for, for me, mm-hmm. when she was telling me this story, that's one of the things that I've been taught and trained to look for in somebody recounting something is, are they telling me what they felt, what they heard, what they smelled? And that's part of a cognitive interview too. So when exactly. Sandy, when Sandy was telling me, like, I could feel, she didn't say someone's behind me tying my arms yep. up. She said, I could feel someone behind me and I could feel pressure on my back and the full discussion we had. Um, and I could feel them doing, she said doing something with my arm. She didn't, she wasn't, she didn't realize they were tying their arms up, but she, she could feel it. So when she's describing that sensory memory and then what she sees from her perspective when she's saying she sees the sweater and 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 she remembers it being like it like it was a it was a knit yep. or you know that, that those are memories from your senses. So like in your in your your chart that you were starting to show me mm-hmm. a few times. So where what does that show us? So a memory well, it starts shows with us that starts with sensory memory and that usually is something that comes into your body in a fraction of a second and you have you see something and a sensory memory comes in. If you are in a field, you'll smell the flowers. You'll hear them, hear the birds. You'll remember what the weather was like. If it was a pleasant experience, you'll remember the sensory things. That's why right. we remember the smell of your mom's apple pie baking or the place where you were happiest. You you know those sensory memories. Right. Well, that's literally what PTSD is. It's when a terrorizing thing happens or you witness it. 
those sensory memories become overwhelming and our memory and our just kind of goes somewhere else sometimes. That's why things like dissociative symptoms like depersonalization where people describe seeing like a movie from above Uh is very real. It's very real. It's something I've experienced as a person Uh with PTSD. It's also something I've experienced having other people talk about to me. It doesn't mean that they think they have multiple personalities or any of those sensationalistic things. It's a, it's a known phenomenon. Uh You know, depersonalization and dissociative symptoms are part of PTSD. I wouldn't expect anybody to be able to explain anything other than the sensory things that happened when they were terrorized. Okay. You don't ever get to the point. Things like there's a couple of different um, treatments for PTSD that maybe explain it a little bit better. Uh-huh. And sensory interventions where you help people become grounded and safe in the environment where you're doing therapy. Uh-huh. And then their bodies and their minds seem sometimes to be able to process that enough that they can deal with the terror part. Uh-huh. Our fight, flight, freeze response, that stuff you were talking about, makes it so to survive, we fight away the thing we're terrorized of. We run away from it. We freeze. There's other things that people do, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So my experience recently, I've had some pretty severe symptoms and had some memories that I think that I needed to deal with. And I've had periods of time where I am screaming on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had periods of time where I'm yelling at people that don't need to be yelled at about probably things that happen. You know, that's what I mean. That mm-hmm. our memories are just connected to our senses in an almost an inex- inextricable way. Uh-huh. So, um, sensory memory goes to short-term memory, which uh, most people think that that takes about less than a minute. Okay, that's um, and then it goes to long-term memory, and those long-term memories are lifetime memories. They're the things we have with us forever. And that long-term memory is split down into things like explicit memory, which is, of course, things we are conscious of remembering, and implicit memory, which are things that are unconscious. And then there's even more of a breakdown, and that chart makes it much easier because it's visual (laughs) than I'm Uh explaining. But there's declarative memory, which are facts and events, and there's procedural memory, which are skills and tasks, and then declarative memory, which is broken down even further into episodic memory and semantic memory. To me, just listening to the things that are available in public to listen to regarding this case from all different places, everything flows that if this woman has PTSD, she's talking about almost backwards. She's talking about her experience and events, which is episodic memory. Mm -hmm. She's talking about her um, declarative memory, which she's doing her best to recall facts and events because there's an investigation going on. Right. She's really talking about explicit memories, but... There are always going to be unconscious things that come up when you have PTSD, things Mm -hmm. that you have a hard time connecting to what happened, you know? Right. Um, That's not really the same thing as like these repressed memories where people do hypnosis and things like that. Although those are treatments sometimes Mm -hmm. that people do do go to. Well, someone asked us last week um, in the follow-up about hypnosis. What do you know about hypnosis? Not much, to be honest. Okay, um, good talk. <laughs> I think I know. I know. I mean, I know a little bit. I know that it's very controversial. Uh huh. I know that it takes very specialized training, and I really my this is all I know about um, helping people to deal with trauma. You have to make them feel safe. Mm-hmm. You have to believe victims if you want them to become survivors. You can't expect someone to act like a survivor and not a terrorized, traumatized victim for their entire life unless you believe them. And unless you ask them questions, mm-hmm. um, that's my biggest thing. I think that, you know, I hope people understand that even 
criminals sometimes have PTSD about the things that they've done. Right. So if you believe people and go from there, the people that are lying to you or trying to hustle you or who are dangerous, it will come out in the wash eventually. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, people sometimes get terribly hurt in the process of that. But, you know, just slowing things down and looking at it from a perspective of let's just believe the person who said that this horrific thing happened to them. Let's believe her, their daughter who's fighting for that. And if the evidence lines up the opposite way and it seems like these people are lying, then okay. But to me, from my perspective as a listener, behaviorally and with PTSD and trauma, the behaviors that you've talked about line up. I would expect it. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that because that's that's what I see too. I'm, I'm definitely not an expert in it. Either um, am I. <laughs> but, so. you know, with a little bit I do. And, and the other thing is like I talk to people all the time. I talk to suspects, victims. People that I know for a fact committed crimes. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I do that stuff all the time here. Mm -hmm. I'm not just making a podcast. We do a lot more. And in this case, it's like, especially Sandy and with Liz, like everything that, that comes from them is, it makes sense to me. Is mm -hmm. everything going to be 100% accurate or correct? But no, but there's, these are just things that, that I, I see happen when people are genuinely trying to recover memories and they're trying, generally trying to relay to you an event that happened when they're struggling to remember it. Um, everything from, even with Marissa and Monica and, Herman and Maria, mm -hmm. I see no, nothing that I've seen has made me think, wait, these people are lying to me. And if you think about it from an, like a backwards perspective, in order to accept that from a, from a outside perspective, you'd have to accept that a whole family colluded or kind of corroborated together right. to create this story and to then have this event happen, cover for this person. And then the person who is in prison would have had to have fake something that behavior doesn't seem to line up that's all i can say it doesn't sure. it doesn't seem to line up yeah. and her behavior absolutely lines up with somebody who has neurological problems and experienced severe trauma i would expect herman not to be able to recall things perfectly i would expect mm -hmm. liz to not be able to recall things perfectly any person who was involved in this including even the cops who showed up the emts mm -hmm. nobody's going to recall exactly what happened perfectly that's why such good police work goes into solving crimes when people can both be in the moment where they're like trying to figure out if this person killed somebody and think about well if they didn't i gotta catch this person right. learn how to interview somebody learn how to interrogate somebody it's too much for one person or one right. it has to be a team effort well, the key with it is because of these memory issues exactly what you're describing as me as an investigator when in my my old profession sure it's all about documentation, and that's yes. why I get a little bent out of shape sometimes when I'm going through crime scene investigations and I'm and I'm seeing things in a photo that should have been documented uh, and that weren't, and it, it over and over and over you see it, and then and um, well now it's going to be it would have been this week's mm -hmm. episode about Sean Carlzal as you heard um, I think because I've only written half of it so far, <laughs> but as, but as as I as I think you heard. Uh, from what, what's happened in the first half is there were all these things that just weren't done, weren't documented. And that, and because you're right, you can't remember everything. And yeah. that was drilled. That's what's so frustrating to me is it was drilled into me as a fire investigator that you write everything down. If you didn't yep. write it down, it didn't happen. We exactly. were taught proper report writing techniques, proper photographing techniques and, and how to, how to preserve that scene because you can't remember mm -hmm. it all. Uh, and, and there was some mistake, you know, obviously some, some big misses in this case there. But, you know, kind of going back to what you're talking about where you have to kind of believe the victim in order for the victim to be able to get to a place where they can talk to you, talk to you and remember. Mm -hmm. It is I, – I will say it's it's tricky 
I, I, I try to at least give the benefit of the doubt to the officers that were interviewing, interrogating Sandy that night. It's a very, very hard position to be in in this particular instance because it's 50-50. She's either a horribly traumatized victim or she's a cold-blooded murderer. Yeah. And they don't know which one it is. So th- so that's a really tough line to toe. But the, but as you said, it comes, you know, whether you want to believe Sandy or believe Liz or mm-hmm. or the rest of the family, you know, if 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 for some reason Marissa, because I've seen people say, well, Marissa was just trying to corroborate. But why would she do that? That's, why would she do that? It was know, her uncle that's dead. You know, that's that's why I tried to look at it almost backwards, like from the conclusion, because that's what my experience is, is evaluating right. things after someone's after juveniles or after people have already experienced things. You right. know, so from if you go backwards, it I can't figure out a way to piece it together that makes sense. Right now, I of course I could be wrong. I'm not a na- national expert in these things, but I do read a ton and I am educated about it. And everything that that the people, the primary sources, are the people that experience these things. Mm-hmm. Everything I'm hearing them say lines up with a incredibly traumatic event, and that they're trying their best to give the information to the investigators, whether that was the police whether that's um, the prosecutor, whether that's you, whether that's the tip line, anything. Right. They're trying their best to recall something that their brain does not want to remember because it's too painful. It's too terrorizing. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I just hope that people understand that whether it's you're a friend that you're trying to support who's going through a trauma or going through PTSD symptoms, a loved one, a, a brother who's a veteran, um, or you're a cop who's dealing with the fact that you just, you know, you're trying to get through your shift and you have to talk to somebody who either did something horrible or had something horrible happen mm-hmm. to them. That if we could go from a place of believing people, that would always make the process better. At least that's my opinion. And that's kind of what I want to focus kind of things on in, I hope, anyways, when we talk about the victims of this crime and the right. whole family were victims of this crime, including the people that discovered Jim Elgar dead. Right. That if we believe them and then corroborate the evidence they say or look into it more, right. that's how we figure out whether someone's a victim or a criminal. Right. And you can even take that that into the interrogation room. I mean, it's it sounds it sounds overly simplistic, maybe, mm-hmm. to say that we should just believe these people, but that's that's literally what the read technique teaches. Not mm-hmm. in those words. Yeah. But it teaches you start off with an information gathering interview mm-hmm. where you're you're letting them talk, asking them questions, getting getting stuff on the record, not accusing them because it puts them in a de- defensive posture exactly. where they can't answer. And and, and we're running we're running yeah, a little yeah. long. And <laughs> no, you guys that, have to go back in the blizzard. But that's I have fine. I mm-hmm. have one more just just to kind of put a button on everything. Um so for you and your in your professional opinion, mm-hmm. what this was really all about was Sandy remembers you know says she remembers this woman being there when she was being tied up she thought that she was connecting that memory to when she was being untied mm-hmm. and it takes another week or so and then it, she finally realizes oh my god that was them they were tying me up what do you think about that is that legitimate it makes perfect sense to me understanding ptsd from it makes perfect sense um i recently had an incident where there was a very in- simple mistake made in my life. Our daughter <laughs> uh-huh. went out for a walk. And because I was in the middle of a full out like episode, I freaked out. 
I started screaming. I started yelling. I started running around our house because there's some things related to my traumas about abandonment and about my daughter and my, you know, she's very precious to me. So that is totally normal. And it took me, I think, a whole full day to explain to people why I freaked out, including my daughter. Why was I running around like a chicken with my head cut off to, you know, my husband who was there to support me, why I was yelling. Um, Our memories just don't work because they're so sensory based. That feeling of terror is what triggers it. And anything that makes you scared talking about it can absolutely trigger almost a re-experiencing of the original traumas. Mm -hmm. So it would make total sense that if she went to dinner with people who were there, Mm -hmm. who she knows and loves, that could trigger a memory. Or it could have come up if she was sitting in the bathtub. You know, it doesn't. But I think being around the family triggered some feelings of safety, probably. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to process traumas. She's thinking about it. Who knows if possibly Marissa, correct? Marissa? Yeah. That that sensory experience made her feel safe would be my guess. And mm-hmm. whenever you feel safe, your brain starts to remember things it needs. And so she started to remember those things in that moment. She tried to associate them the best she could with the sensory and sensory things that were going on. She told people she loved. And then they... We got that information to the police. Right. And that's how it worked, right? I, if Unless I missed something in the timeline. Well, yeah. well it, it's actually yeah. a little different like, okay. th- than how it played out. She remembered it beforehand. Mm-hmm. She didn't associate it with being traumatic. Okay? Oh, that's right. So, yes. so, so she, it was never that she didn't remember it. Yes. She recalled, she said that night, mm-hmm. she recalled, you know, when, when she was in the police station, all that, she's thinking when they came and they untied yes, her. That's right. She remembered seeing this woman. Standing there when they were untying her, and that's why she didn't say, "Hey, I want to tell you guys something." I remember somebody standing there because mm-hmm. that would that would concern me a little bit, maybe. Sure, maybe a little less now after talking to you yeah. now about this. But but what she did was she when she saw Marissa, she remembered back to that, and mm-hmm. she was concerned about this friend. Yeah. She because she because Marissa said the first thing she said to her was, "Is your friend okay?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, what friend? Yes. What are you talking about? So yeah. she stated it as fact as though everyone already knew it. Knew it. And that is honestly a huge indicator of that. I would be like, okay, this person's probably relaying to me something that actually happened because exactly. I know that other people have pointed that out on the boards that linguistically, and I'm no expert in that, that things flow. Right. Things flow in their story. And if you look at it from the other way, Things don't flow as her being this person who killed her husband and covered it up and did all these things. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Absolutely. But I would be shocked. (laughs) Shocked. (laughs) You know, I really would be. So I really feel like her memories, the way they reported them. And as you just noticed, I literally listened to the episode on the way over here to make sure that I remembered things so that I didn't Mm -hmm. sound like a bumbling idiot (laughs) and i even had my person who drove me my husband listen to it as well and to try to keep me on track but that's what happens when you're dealing with ptsd your memory Mm -hmm. goes wonky right so absolutely it makes sense that she would report her experience if that is actually what happened Mm -hmm. exactly the way she did it, it, there's nothing that doesn't make sense from my perspective right. there's nothing that doesn't make yeah. sense and, about and it. the recall for her was the way i understood it was the the week later because in that moment she just said is your friend okay and she yeah. said what friend and she said the friend that was with you that night and she said nobody was with us you sure nope 
okay. And then she kind of withdrew. And then it was a few days later when she connected to, oh my God, that was, that woman was there when they were tying sure. me up. And that's when she woke up screaming and crying, similar to what you were describing what happened to you the yes. other day. Well, and recalling night, I mean, nightmares, traumatic recall is part of PTSD. That's mm-hmm. totally normal to have dreams. I also thought about, you know, if she's sitting there having a family dinner, and she starts to recall something and it's inaccurate. Of course, the family's not going to hound her. She just went through something horribly traumatic. They're not going to be like, what do you mean this happened? What do you mean? What do you mean? Right. What do you mean? To me, the reactions that everybody in the family also reported make sense. You know, she like they were like, no, no, okay. They're trying to be gentle with her. Mm-hmm. She let, you know, she let people know what was going on. And she did the, it feels like, I feel like she did the best she could. That's why I feel right. so much empathy other than the fact that I feel like an innocent woman is in prison for something she didn't do. I feel like this woman did the best that she could to give people information to catch the man that killed, or excuse me, to catch the person or people that killed her husband, who was her primary caretaker, unless I'm totally missing something and loved her really in a way that is is hard to find when you have some chronic health issues sometimes. And so I don't care how much money or how much freedom from a group that she may or may not have liked you would get. It makes no sense that she, it doesn't flow. It doesn't flow. That's, that's my thing. So I am not an expert in everything, but I do feel like I have some expertise in this case. And I do to comment a lot on the boards. I don't think I'm going to quite as much. I want to stick around. I want to stick around and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I want to help if I can. And I want, somebody who I think is innocent to be out of prison. And so that the people that did do this or the person can be found and that, um, that that family can heal. That's what I would love to see is that family to be able to heal from this horrific thing that happened to them. And it does make me emotional. And if that makes me biased in my comments, I'm okay with that because I think people do the best work in their life when they are in fields that they are passionate about. So, um, and I, like I said, I did just meet you and, my perception is that this team is very passionate about what they do and they're working their asses off to find some information and, and move things forward. And um, I just wanted to try to do my part to explain things. Well, really appreciate you guys coming, especially in the, uh, <laughs> in the, the polar vortex blizzard we yeah. have. Um, so I'm going to close it up, but there's, there's one thing that I want to say based mm-hmm. on what you just said, and I, I never talk about this, mm-hmm. um, but I want to, I just want to put it out there. Um, so my mother, has a very severe autoimmune disease and my father is her caretaker. <laughs> That's part of what we're going through right now. Um, <clears throat> my PTSD. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to make people cry. That's, a, that's that's why there's a little shortage of documents on the website right now sure. because we've been dealing with some things. But like what you said, there is, if you offered my mother a million dollars, $10 million, she would never give up what she has on my dad. And that's, I think, for me, why this case became, I became so emotionally invested in it is because I have a lot of empathy for everybody in this case. I have so much empathy because of my personal life for the cops who are investigating and how hard that job is. I would never want that job in a million years and how much trauma those people experience. Um, I have some empathy for the people on the jury who seem to really, really struggle with this, like struggle with it in for sure. a, I'm, a deep I, way. I'm sure that there are a lot mm-hmm. of the jurors that, that struggle mm-hmm. in any murder case. Yeah. Um, and with that, with our strange emotional end that I, 
that I wasn't intending on having in, Sorry. in, in this. Um, but I just it just it just kind of triggered me when you said that. It was like I've never I don't talk about that shit, but yeah. I wanted to get it out there. So now that's out there. My my own personal kind of take sure. in a lot of this and and why I feel the way I do about some of the things. Um, and so reminder, everybody, uh, moving forward, I am actually not here right now. I am out of the state. So we have pre-recorded uh, this Sunday's episode, and we, what we have is actually Herman Melgar's interview from the scene that night. Uh, we've had a whole team of listeners come together, a professional bilingual court transcriber to correct the transcripts, and then we have a team of voice actors that got together and recorded it, and it's just been an awesome experience. So we decided we're gonna, we put that together for you guys to have on Sunday, and... Kelly and Mike, thank you. I mean, it really is. It's awful out there. So please be careful driving home. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you guys very much for the opportunity to talk. I really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, I appreciate everything that the team is doing and all the people that are commenting. I think that it's making an incredible difference. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. Our banner images and type font across all of our logos was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Britta Bliss, Sarah Colby, Rachel Timberman, and Liz Rose. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash TruthAndJustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 per month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. And for more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. And don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. 
LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.